Hello, and welcome to the C-Store Decisions Live podcast. I'm Erin Del Conte, Executive Editor of C-Store Decisions Magazine. Thank you for joining us. Please sit back and enjoy as we talk all things convenience retailing. So today we're here with John Lofstock. John is the Vice President and the Chief Editor of C-Store Decisions, and he is also the Executive Director of our National Advisory Group and our Young Executives Organization. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you. Thank you for having us. Or me, just me. I'm, I'm pro. <laughs> just one of you today. Just one of me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking all about 2020 and the pandemic, as well as predictions ahead for what's to come in the new year in 2021. Uh, so Frank, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. No, so we, we've all been talking lately just about, you know, what we think is going to happen this year now that things are starting to normalize a bit and the dust is settling. And, you know, we've all settled into wearing masks for a year and, um, you know, some of you may have some fashionable ones like I've been purchasing. It's a weird, very weird thing to say that you buy fashion forward face masks, but here we are. And, you know, something that's been on my mind a lot the past week. Um, so there's this investment analyst, uh, Elena Berger, who put this piece out on her Substack, um, just talking about something that she found a little odd, which is amidst all the knee jerk sensationalism and the headlines about how shopping is changing forever. Um, you know, e-commerce as a share of total retail was actually not terribly high. Now, this her argument is that the story is not that digital sales in Q3 2020 were 36.7% higher than they were the same quarter a year prior, but rather that they were still only 14.3% of total retail amidst a global pandemic where it was one of the best environments for e-commerce uh, in general. And this kind of resonated with me because look, as bullish as I am on most things related to digital transformation, um, it's been hard for me personally to square what I've seen through all these management consultancy reports and knee jerk headlines with what I've seen in my city. I live in Des Moines, Iowa. And since last summer, you could be forgiven for thinking there was no pandemic here. Theme parks open, water parks are open, the malls packed. I live by our busiest mall. I've been really kind of missing going to the mall because I've worked from home for a while and you got to get out to maintain your sanity. Um, but wow, it, it's just like people are flocking to stores. Now it's not to say that there wasn't growth in e-commerce, but I think it's really interesting how many people still maintain their habits. I don't know. That's been on my mind a lot lately. What do, what do you guys think? That's so interesting to me because I'm here in Chicago and uh, I really feel like everyone that I kind of know has been really doubling down on delivery. You know, uh, Amazon delivering all of your items that you might need. Uh, all the grocery stores are doing delivery of groceries. I haven't been out <laughs> in a very long time. Uh, so I wonder if it's if it's pretty regional because I know you know Chicago was under some pretty strict lockdown rules and I know in talking to some retailers who have been in some of those areas that have been harder hit by some of the social distancing uh, requirements or the lockdowns you know they have seen uh, a lot more of a sales decrease than in areas where that hasn't necessarily been the case. Jana, uh, what are you seeing? Well, I'm uh, in New Jersey and uh, spent a lot of time in New York City and. Uh, uh, neighboring New Jersey and very much our opinion, I think by and large, the most part has just been, you know, hey, forget about it. Let's just get out and do, uh, do our own thing. 
but of course I got the virus. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, uh, the idiots that you should not be paying attention to because uh, I don't complain much, but it hurt, right? I was, uh, I didn't like it. So I think that people uh, around here are business as usual, uh, concern. They don't want to get sick. They don't even want to, you know, I'd go so far as to say they don't want to put themselves in danger, but you know, you got to live, you got to work, you got to eat. The kids still got to go where they have to go. And uh, it's it, it's shown after a lull in fuel sales, the Northeast was was hit pretty hard, as I'm sure other markets were. Uh, from a fuel sales perspective, everything seems to have bounced back nice. Food service and eating out is a huge part of the culture here in the, you know New York City, New Jersey. So uh, that's probably the biggest complaint. I think people are complaining, we can't get out, we want to get out, um, but restrictions are keeping us in, not so much the virus. It's, it's kind of the government mandates that are hurting us. And that is a bigger issue. And I think more people, no matter what side of the, the coin you're on politically, seem to object with uh, government uh, kind of interfering in business and their personal rights to go out and, and risk getting sick if they want. And that impacts business and that uh, impacts customers. You know, see, that makes me think of something too. It's it's despite all the growth and in infrastructure around, you know, uh, just e-commerce in general, uh, you know, all the, the new direct-to-consumer companies, I've noticed something else interesting. Like my wife and I both really miss going to a lot of stores that we went to before the pandemic. And I guess we didn't realize like how much we appreciated that until it was taken away for a little bit. Now, to be fair, again, I could go back to any store I want to around here. I mean, <laughs> we've barely done anything around Des Moines with uh, pandemic restrictions. The reason we haven't gone is my wife's high risk for, for COVID. So we try to at least watch where we go um, and limit it. But we've really wanted to go back to box lunch at the local mall, for example, um, for anyone who's fairly nerdy and likes pop culture merchandise, uh, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And what I loved about that store is their inventory rotates so frequently. There's always something new. There's always something different. And we'd always pop in there before seeing a movie or going out to dinner just just to look at stuff. There's a discovery element to it. They're an exceptionally good retailer at the store level. And I don't get the same experience from their website. Um now, you can get a good discovery experience from a website. God knows I spend too much money on Etsy and uh, might have a problem with that. But but still, there's something to be said about just going to a store and getting out from your home and being out and about. And there's there, there's a whole element of shopping that's not fully captured in some of the e-commerce solutions. So I don't know. That's been interesting to me um, because I think it says a lot about the value of just running a good store. Um, even amidst the pandemic, Americans still went to stores and didn't totally pull away. So it's, um, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and honestly, I, I, I think that says a lot of, with regard to fuel and convenience about the value of executing well at a store. You know, here's something funny. We went, um, we had to cancel our, our honeymoon last May to Japan, which sucked, but we That's did. Yeah, we were going to go spend t- two weeks in Japan. My wife speaks Japanese. Uh, buddy of mine in the UK gave me a list of all the new Lawson's and Family Mart stores and yeah. where to where. We're to go check out the newest stores in Tokyo, and we're going to spend a whole day eating convenience store food there, because why not? I lived in Japan for two years, and they have just the most amazing convenience stores on the planet. Right. We were so excited about that. Um, Plus, 
I have like a craving for onigiri at all times, mm-hmm. so <laughs> why not? But we thought, hey, let's at least salvage this until we get over there. So we got grabbed an Airbnb in the Black Hills Forest in South Dakota, road tripped out there, uh, found a cabin in the middle of nowhere. And here's something funny. We went hiking up Black Elk Peak. We get to the top of this lookout tower, and what do I find? Some rando walking around in a Bucky shirt. <laughs> now... See, that's been on my mind for one reason, because here's a company that doesn't have a loyalty app, doesn't, you know, they're pretty high tech at the store level in a way that folks don't appreciate, but they don't do a lot of these things that you always hear are so necessary right now. Instead, they just execute exceptionally well at the store level and they've built this fanatical brand. I mean, I've got their coasters on my desk, you know, I find that interesting. There's something to be said about the value of just delighting people time and time again at the store level and what that can do. Yeah. Execution is the key, right? No matter how good a strategy you have at the corporate level, or no matter what kind of training you have, and no matter what good, how good of a job you do recruiting and retaining top people, none of it means anything unless, unless you're executing at the store level. And you find that the, the top quartile chains execute. Uh, the people who struggle, uh, there's a disconnect between what goes on at corporate and what's being executed at the store level. And that, I mean, that's any retail industry. And you know, you could name just, uh, you know, by covering this industry for as long as all of us have, you know who executes and you know who doesn't. And it shows probably in their sales numbers. And it shows at a time like this where you're dealing with a pandemic and, um, you know, you, you think about those companies that are probably doing a lot, that are doing a lot to you know, maintain sales. You, you know, you know who they are. Yeah, and Frank, you brought up earlier, you know, about the the discrepancies between what the the news headlines might say with e-commerce versus what the reality might be. And yet, I know I have seen so many convenience stores really, uh, you know, pivot to being able to offer. Uh, we see more mobile apps. We see uh, more opportunities to order online, if not in app, and then pick up in the store or even have it delivered through either a third-party delivery service or through their own delivery service. And we see a lot of convenience stores since the pandemic has hit kind of be able to to move in that direction. You know, obviously some more uh, successful than others. Um, we were talking earlier about Foxtrot, who was our September cover story. And, you know, Foxtrot started, they're a Chicago-based company. They started as a mobile app. So they were a company that was in a really prime position uh, and had the, the background and the infrastructure necessary to really quickly pivot and be able to... Uh, move into the sort of e-commerce area, they were able to take their uh, coffee and cafe menu that had never been available for delivery or for for online uh, ordering, and they were able to quickly, uh, you know, make changes necessary and put it up online as well as a lot of their other products and, and make product changes to fit what was most needed at the time during the pandemic. So I think, you know, uh, as to John's point about top quartile retailers, you know, everybody's not created equal in terms of what they've already done up at leading up to the pandemic and where I think where a chain was positioned when COVID-19 hit really determined what they were able to do um, and how they were able to protect their sales. Like Foxtrot saw revenues double when a lot of people right when uh, things hit were, uh, were kind of hemorrhaging sales a bit. You know, you know something else that I really like about Foxtrot though, and something I think they do well. Um, I, I think sometimes folks lose sight of how a well-executed physical store can build trust in your digital channels. And and anyone who's been to Foxtrot knows those are cool stores. Um, Very cool. I mean, they're, they're really beautiful neat, stores. Right? 
Yeah, they're so cool. Like I was fortunate to get to see one right before the pandemic. I flew into O'Hare and road tripped back. And so I stopped at Foxtrot on the way back. And I mean, what a, what a cool place. Um, one thing I like too, they had a great wine selection had, I mean, really, you know how sometimes you go into stores and they always have the same stuff that everyone has the same basic generic bottles. And they had, they had a good unique selection. I was able to find a good Beaujolais that I wanted, which is one of my favorite regions. So brought that back. They had a little gift section of like, you know, local merch, which I'm always a sucker for. I love those kinds of things. It just felt like a community store. Um, the food was amazing. Uh, my sister was with me and she's vegan and um, she was just at awe about what, what, what was in the cooler. Um, I think they had like an impossible beef uh, bulgogi or something. I don't know. She was totally into it. But um, you visit a store like that and you, you would feel pretty good about ordering online from them because I don't know, you know, it's a, it's a high quality retailer. You see that right there and you, and you at least feel you can trust them. Absolutely. And I know one of the things they focus on is being able to surprise the customer. You mentioned like the little gift section and they have that, you know, they do that so well on their uh, online e-commerce section as well, right? You can send a gift box to somebody with some wine and a high-end chocolate and little oh, that's cool. surprise options. Um, so I, I really like how they, how they do that. They kind of make themselves a destination for more than just your typical convenience store fare. See, I, I would totally do that <laughs> if only they'd come to my market. But, you know, something I'm curious about, and I wonder what you two think about this. Um, you know, I don't want anyone to be misled and think that I'm not, um, you know, that I'm like anti-e-commerce or something. I am super bullish on delivery and think that it has a a, a place in fuel and convenience in particular. But I'm curious what you think. Um, how do you think all that's going to play out? Because as as much as it's starting to feel weird to me that I can't get delivery from a convenience store down the street when GoPuff uh, will bring from a warehouse, <laughs> you know, um, you know, the convenience stores around here in particular really um, kind of thrive off of a lot of customers that are still always going to be on the move, you know, the road crews, the, um, you know, the work, the work commuters, but at the same time, I just feel like they're missing out if they don't figure the delivery piece out and start bringing it to those of us who are like, I need a bag of goldfish crackers and some junk food at 10 o'clock, or we need a pint of ice cream or, um, uh, if if I could jump in, uh, with GoPuff, their model was different. So they were built as a distribution center that would be, uh, delivering versus a convenience store, which is a brick and mortar store that would be serving, uh, customers that come in. So it's easier, you know, it's a, it's a different mindset and it's just set up. Um, more efficiently to execute that strategy. But there's no question that GoPuff and the pandemic have had the desired impact that I thought C-Store should have always been involved with. And that is uh, delivery, mobile app, you know, mobile ordering, uh, things like drive-throughs. If you saw that, you know, just a number of chains are redesigning their uh, look and their um, brick and mortar sites to include drive-throughs. Almost every convenience store you go to now has a few designated spots that say curbside ordering pickup. Uh, it's trial by fire. It's not perfect by any means. Uh, and it was forced upon them, but they'll get it right because the C-Store industry has a history of getting it right. And, you know, in a matter of years, we'll be experts at it. Just like, you know, in the 90s, we heard all about how Walmart was going to come and they were going to take over fuel volumes. And Walmart was going to put C-Stores out of business. And you know what happened? Walmart came in. And twice they had to leave with their tail between their legs because they got beat up because C-stores are local. They're family owned for the most part. 
uh, you know, the, the, obviously there are a number of that aren't, but they can move quicker. They can innovate. They, they continue to be driven by innovation and, you know, they adopt retail technology and use it really well. So uh, they're being forced into it a little at a time now, keep in mind also where they were dealing with, you know, EMV compliance and the shifting fuel standards uh, and, you know, uh, the, the tight labor market. So all this is going on where they're trying to reinvent their retail offering while they are putting up with the threats of uh, tobacco sales going away. And uh, like I said, EMV compliance, it is a crazy, crazy time for convenience store retailers. And they have, you know, they're adapting and really exceeding uh, like they always do. And that part shouldn't be overlooked. Absolutely. I think there's obviously always going to be a place for brick and mortar retail. I think people want it. I think it's it's sort of that omni-channel approach, right? You have uh, more than one way to shop and, you know, digital disruption was here long before the pandemic. But, you know, earlier this year, I got the chance to interview uh, Daniel Burris, the digital disruption expert and futurist. And, and he was pointing out just how, you know, in a matter of months, we've accelerated by about 10 years. So I really do think that, you know, even if it's not their primary thing that they're doing, uh, conveniences are going to have to keep moving in this direction. We've got stores now that are that are offering, uh, you know, frictionless stores. You know, I think Choice Market is set to open their frictionless store uh, this coming March. You know, that got delayed a bit by the pandemic, but it's coming open. And I know uh, Power Market is another chain that's looking to get into this. So you see more and more chains that are really kind of looking in this direction. And I think uh, I think it's important to, to be looking in that way. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I mean, I, re- I remember the first time I went into an Amazon Go, and I, you, you feel like you're you're stealing from from there, right? Right. <laughs> it, but it's uh, you know, it's funny on checkout free retail in particular. Um, I mean, li- lines are just the absolute worst thing. Like, I'm the jerk that went to uh, guest services at Disneyland to complain about a fast pass line being 45 minutes. So that tells you how I feel about lines. Because um, hate to tell them, but I, I love I love Disneyland. I love that place, but 45 minutes is not fast. So, um, although I guess it did beat the three hours on the normal one, but anyway, um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because as convenience stores get into food service and do more than they've historically done, the lines get longer. Uh, you build more of a wait. Um, you know, if you're going to make someone late to work in the morning, because, it could be five minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is at the store. That's a problem. That's not convenient anymore. And checkout free retail is just such an effective way to just get people in and out of the store. But with delivery though, something that I find interesting. So as a lot of retailers are turning on DoorDash as a way to get a quick win, it's interesting to me that the last time I looked at their online job postings for Dash Mart, they were hiring in 41 cities. Now, when they were hiring in 36 cities, when I looked a month prior, I pulled up the most recent census data for the cities proper and found that represented around 10% of the U.S. population. They didn't mention any of this in their S1. There's no mention of anything about Dashmart, but they seem to be making a pretty significant play. And you have to wonder, um, you know, why would they not want to disintermediate and just cut convenience retailers out of the equation and go go their own route? I mean, pull open the Amazon Basics website, and that's kind of what this that future looks like. Uh, they got a top performer from every product category sitting there. So I have to wonder, I mean, maybe, maybe the answer for retailers is just to play nice with the third parties, but I think that they've got to figure, some of them got to figure out a way to do their own deliveries. 
I mean, absolutely. And John at, at NAG, uh, the last time we were all in person, we had uh, Richard Crone talking to all of us from Crone Consulting about uh, that. Do you, do you want to share some of uh, some of what we talked about at NAG uh, in terms of uh, you know why it's so important for retailers to kind of look into owning their own data with all of that? Yeah, he's a big proponent of that. You've interviewed him mm-hmm. a number of times, and mm-hmm. you know the data play is is key and you had a lot of retailers in the beginning that were willing to give up the data. And it turns out that obviously that's a gold mine. It's a treasure trove. Like uh, as you get email addresses, as you get shopping habits, shopping patterns, shopping times, basket analysis, et cetera, in real time. And you're able to do that, you know, and especially with mobile apps, when you have, uh, you know, people uh, have their phones attached to their hip, uh, it's extremely important. And that will drive, uh, the 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 redesign of stores because I think one thing you're going to see out of this you may see smaller stores in the future uh, with more of an emphasis on to go drive through to go curbside delivery etc and there are some good things that could come out of that we've always talked about how C stores could get penetration from the pumps into the store a very high number of people who go to stores never ventured from the pumps to uh, the inside the convenience store. Tobacco used to be a big part of that. You know, you, you people smoke, uh, people need gas, they smoke, they go in the store, they pick up a beverage. Um, you know, that works. Lottery too. The lottery is not profitable, but it is a destination and uh, getting people in the stores is important. But again, you're seeing things like iLottery now, a lot of lottery sales are online. I forget how many states, but it's a, a significant number of states in the 20s that have moved to online lotteries. Uh, fuel, you know, you know, this was a data question, but all of these things take away trips from the stores. When you understand the consumer better, you can figure out how to get them into the stores. And our chain of the year, uh, Parker's this year, all over this. I mean, they are all over this. Uh, I was able to go down to Savannah in September and uh, just see some of the things they're doing and talk to the team and it's it's all about the data all about the analytics and that i think is what's going to set people up for success well you know and it's interesting because when you talk to people kind of in the delivery scene or the food tech scene that aren't terribly familiar with the dynamics of fuel and convenience the thing i hear from literally everyone is why aren't they doing their own deliveries they have the real estate and it's the same exact same exact question every time and it's just um i under I don't know. I feel like retailers were caught off guard and their wait and see approach on delivery. Uh, you know, they had to pivot because, hey, there's a pandemic. And so it makes sense to turn on DoorDash real quick. But I guess I hope folks are more thoughtful about the long term Im- implications of that, because it may not be a huge issue for one chain to give their data to DoorDash. But zoom out. And if you've got major players in every region giving them data, suddenly they've got a market level view of the fuel and convenience industry. And I think that's incredibly problematic. Uh, these are companies that don't have a good track record um, of how they you know, of how they conduct themselves. I'll think of a nice way to say this, but you can find plenty of court cases to go through and look at the complaints restaurant operators have had um, about these companies and how they kind of strong arm them to play ball with their platforms. So it's um, retailers have, I think convenience retailers have a tremendous advantage in so many ways and they should play to their strengths um, as they consider delivery. Sure. And the other- to mention when it, <laughs> I was just going to say not to mention <laughs> when it comes to uh, to delivery, you know, if you're controlling 
that at that last mile you're controlling that your food is arriving in the correct form, that it's not、oh, going to be、yeah. soggy, that it's going to show up the way you want it to. Whereas if you're trusting a third party, you don't always know or have control over that very last interaction that is sometimes the most important.、Mm-hmm. No, that's a huge point, though. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have had problems with food delivery. I mean, well, to, we had one night, the other night, where we just didn't want to cook and、uh, turned on Uber Eats, and there's no delivery drivers in our area. I'm like,、oh, all right, well, I hope those restaurants weren't relying on Uber Eats tonight because.、Uh, Or something goes wrong, and you、yeah. you're not going to blame the third party. You're going to blame the place that you ordered it from. Well, what's wrong with them that they were an hour late? Well, yeah, and I think I guess retailers a.、Uh, Unique way to experiment a little bit more with their customer experience, and you know, control how they do their packaging, how folks interact from a delivery perspective. And but you're right, just the ability to resolve complaints it frustrates me to no end when you order from a restaurant and something is screwed up, and you're like, "That's okay, I've worked in restaurants, mistakes happen. I'm not angry, but I, I just, hey, can you guys just bring a replacement over? I mean, at some point. Well, no,、uh, you you have to contact Uber Eats, and I'm like, I get why that happens, but it'd be one thing if you. You just call the convenience store down the road, and you're like, "Hey, man,、uh, that got messed up." And it's like, "Oh, no worries. We'll we'll send someone down there. We got it." That's a different customer experience, and you're getting through these third parties right now.、Mm-hmm. And that gets back to what we were saying before about execution. And the mistake I think that retailers are going to make is saying,、oh, "You know, listen, you know, accidents happen. We'll kind of get it right." And because when the 800 pound gorilla is Amazon, and they deliver, you know, millions of packages daily, right? I don't even know. I'm making up a number. It's a lot of packages. And they get it right. And if you've ever had a problem or a return, it's flawless. You know, you go to Kohl's, you send it back. You go to any store, you drop it off. They give you credit. So, if Amazon could get it right on such a macro level, you know, you should be able to get it right in your own community. So that's what they're comparing you to. So、uh, even though it, I, I heard Amazon did away with its pantry, right? They did away with its pantry delivery system. Yeah.、Um, But they'll focus on you know uh, the, uh, the the fresh foods and the the daily meals, and、um, I was going to say something else. Too. Oh, the, you know the data. We talked about data before. Again, stepping back, Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods was all about the data, and they learned there was a treasure trove of、uh, customers' home shopping habits. They already knew where they shopped and what kind of shoes they liked, what clothes they wore, what size they were. But what they didn't know was what they ate. So. They went after the Whole Foods market, kind of to,、uh, kind of fit in line with that whole Amazon uh, uh, image, and now they know everything. Now they know what you eat, when you eat, where you eat, how many kids you have, what your kids like, and man, it's all about the data. So they can target you all day long. You never have to leave your house. And that, and that's who convenience stores are are competing with. Yes. Oh they, yeah. They have to get there.、Uh, they there's no question anymore. The pandemic has shown you have. You eventually are going to have to get there. We're going to have to have a mobile app or something where you can,、uh, you know, that omni-channel approach, like you said, Aaron. You're going to have to communicate with the customer on their terms and give them what they want when they want it, because they have too many options. Amazon can get you dinner in an hour, a whole meal. Well, I think one of the things to watch with Amazon too is what they're doing with their grocery stores.、Um, I mean, because some, you know, some of those are putting micro fulfillment centers in the back, and I mean, there's a huge delivery play to be made there if that starts expanding. But at the at the same time, you know, I I think one thing retailers really need to just be cognizant of in this year, though, is they kind of sort through what worked and what didn't work、uh, throughout this past year. You know, and all the things that were tried is. 
if they're going the mobile app route, what kind of functionality are they building in? Because I mean, I'm not going to pick on anyone in particular, but I mean, I've seen some apps that I can't, I honestly can't imagine why anyone would download them because they're spam machines that just hit you up with offers for, for the soda companies. And I mean, that's fine. I, I'm a huge Diet Coke fan, so I'm sure I've got plenty of it sitting here around home, but you know, they'll talk about one-to-one personalization and all the, and all the jargon and whatnot, but I'm like, what I'm hearing as a consumer is you're going to give me a push notification for Diet Coke instead of regular Pepsi because you know that I buy that more. I mean, that's fine, but I don't want the push notification. I don't, I don't want any of that. Like, what does the app do? What do I get out of it? And, you know, retailers that are using their, their, their apps as a way to provide more functionality to their brand to do things like, well, let's take Casey's. I, I thought Casey's had the right idea. Just allow people to do curbside pizza. I mean, I'm from Iowa. Typically, you would start a Casey's Pizza order with a phone call. I remember as a kid, we'd open up the old phone books that mysteriously still show up once a year to our doorsteps, and we would call Casey's and order a pizza. It's so much better to just order it on an app, drive up, and they bring it out to your car, and you drive away. That's a great use case for an app, but I think retailers need to ask, all right, um, what do our customers actually need? How can we build that into our app and provide more functionality to our brand? That's what I think uh, they need to be cognizant of moving forward, but that's just me. When it comes to actually going into the brick and mortar stores today, um, you know, obviously we are still in the middle of a pandemic. And one of the the really important things is making sure that the store is uh, up to par in terms of cleanliness. We've seen a lot more retailers are adding the plexiglass shields and uh, the floor decals. Uh, requiring uh, masks for their employees and so forth. And uh, so I know that uh, Frank and John, uh, you both are involved in Safe Shop. Uh, maybe, uh, John, do you want to tell us a bit about uh, Safe Shop? Sure. Well, Safe Shop is a joint venture between WTWH Media and Paragon Solutions, Mike Walsh at Paragon Solutions. And it is, you know, simply uh, a set of standards that were developed to help retailers communicate to customers and employees that they're taking the steps necessary to help keep them safe, that, that they have a set of standards when it comes to cleanliness, when it comes to um, food service, uh, when it comes to wiping down the pumps, et cetera. And uh, we've signed up a number of chains and we're very excited to be, you know, be rolling this out to two more uh, big chains here pretty soon. We've announced uh, one, but we'll be announcing another one. Uh, but that, that is Frank's baby. Frank is the director of Safe Shop, so I don't want to take away from any of his steam. But he's been doing a great job in getting these retailers on the phone, and and uh, we've been pitching it to them. And the recept they've really been receptive. It's uh, the reception has been outstanding. Yeah, no, we've been seeing some good momentum lately with Safe Shop, and I, and I think it's because it kind of it kind of hits a need that wasn't really being filled for a while, which is this communication gap. Um, I mean, look, we all know everyone cares about safety and cleanliness. Nobody wants to get up and visit a store where it makes them feel worse about their well-being. Um, <laughs> no one does. But at the end of the day, it's not always been really easy for the folks that are doing the right thing to stand out. Um, you know, and it, you can kind of see how that's playing out during the pandemic, to be quite honest. Um, I think all of us are probably seeing this in our markets where, um, almost overnight, retailers were printing off almost legal-esque corporate statements and documents and taping them around their store about their safety commitments and their policies. And I get why that happens, and I'm certainly not judging anyone for doing that. But, folks, no one's going to read that. Um, and you see it at – it's not just fuel and convenience. All retailers are doing this right now, and it just kind of blends in with the background. 
But when a third party comes in and certifies that you are doing the right things and you do uh, take your commitment to safety and cleanliness very seriously, that's intuitive and that just cuts through the noise and resonates. And that's really what we were trying to do is help the folks that care about these things uh, stand out so people can feel better about where they shop. Mm. And for consumers, it's easy because, you know, you can... That makes sense. You don't have to sit there and, and read a and read a inkjetted piece of paper and you know hear what someone says about themselves. So we we think we're in a position to help with that. And we've been pretty excited by the by the momentum. I was on a phone with um, an agency working uh, on the marketing side with one of our partners um, this morning, and we're putting together a strategy to utilize Google Maps to draw attention to Safe Shop certification, so we can get more metrics around the impressions. That's um, you know they're being driven on that, and I'm pumped about that. That's such a natural place. Um, this retailer has a store on Route 66, so I know uh, that's going to come up on Google Maps very frequently for road trippers. So, yeah, we're excited by that. I mean, at the end of the day, I, safe shop aside, I think for any retailers, fuel and convenience are outside. The ability to market safety and cleanliness is going to be a huge competitive advantage moving forward because – um, even in places like where I'm at, where there are hardly any pandemic restrictions, I think a lot of us are coming out of this uh, germaphobes in a way that we weren't before. I carry hand sanitizer with me to every store I go. I have multiple face masks in my car. Uh, I definitely wasn't doing that in 2019, that's for sure. Sure. And as we had mentioned, uh, things be, you know like a drive-through, mobile app ordering, et cetera, becoming uh, the new normal or the, you know, the new standard, I think that customers are going to start gravitating toward stores that have an outward display of sanitation or safety, you know, more so than, than that is typical, but that is a, a retailer's almost acknowledgement of, Hey, uh, we understand that you're concerned about COVID. We are too. And, you know, here's what we're doing to, to keep your safety because again, you have so many choices. If there's a store that says, you know, we're committing to these standards and there's another store that's just as good that says nothing, you're going to gravitate toward the one that's, uh, you know, especially, you know, certain demographics uh, are going to gravitate toward that store. You know, but here's one of the other things too, and the three of us, you know, all know this, but it's, you know, especially in fuel and convenience where you have so many um, sort of old family brands that have been in business for, for decades. Um, what the general public doesn't always see is that some of these companies put a lot of pride into their stores. Um, you know, especially the regional family brands are not always, they're not necessarily out there cutting corners like this, the uh, stereotype of the dirty gas station may suggest. I, I mean, when you get when you get into the details and you see the kind of uh, policies that folks have in place, the inspect the internal audit systems that they've created for food, you know, for food safety, for store safety, for cleanliness, it's honestly pretty staggering. Um, and that doesn't always come across to the, to the customer. So that's one thing where I think, um, folks who do communicate this well, moving forward, um, it's, that's just a huge opportunity, um, to show that, you know, they're, they're, they're just a better brand than maybe their competitors are. Agreed. Absolutely. And Com, uh, excuse me, and like communicating that and marketing that to the consumer, I think is just like such an important point. You know, a lot of, as you were pointing out, a lot of chains are doing a lot of, a lot of things, but they're not necessarily communicating that in the, in the best way that would really let those, uh, those customers know. I think that's a really key point. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the days of the, the keys on the hubcap are, uh, Fortunately, probably behind us. But um, although a funny story, when I went and visited an Amazon Go in Seattle a couple years ago, um, I was driving out of the city and stopped at a convenience store to get a bottle of water. Um, I forgot to grab one there. 
I kid you not, they gave me a key uh, with a hubcap to go to the restroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> At that point, though, it was actually kind of exciting to see it because I don't see that much anymore. And uh, I've got a photo somewhere of it, but oh, well. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know I'm like, you know, got to save those photos for uh, presentations about what not to do, I suppose. But they're few and far anymore. You don't see that much. It's uh, Those days are gone. Well, I think that wraps everything up, but um, yeah, I would say this is fun chatting, guys. I know we'll definitely continue this conversation, and definitely thanks to anyone who tuned in to listen. Yeah, and hopefully we can uh, get everyone to stay tuned for a uh, follow-up where we can discuss uh, something else. Oh, totally. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have a lot to unpack. All right. Thanks, guys. guys. Yeah, thanks Thanks, very much for having me, and uh, yeah, a great discussion. I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow.